Hello, and welcome to the Grand Stories Profiles in Aging podcast. My name is Dr. Robert Cosby of the Howard University School of Social Work Multidisciplinary Gerontology Center. I will be your host as we talk about aging and equity with social justice leaders and community members. Look forward to your being with us. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Dr. Mitt Joyner. In the last episode, she spoke about being elected NASW president, applying social work theories and practice, critical race theory, and more. To begin this section of the interview, I asked Dr. Joyner to share a role or accomplishment she's most proud of. Well, one thing that I did at Westchester University is I was instrumental in building a statue of Frederick Douglass. Uh, it was something that the university didn't really want, but um, went around town, found up, we, we got, I was the fundraising chair and we raised over $236,000 to put up the statue of a man who never went to college, right? Who, who, who didn't have formal education, but who advised the president of the United States. Um, that is one of the things that I'm most proud of because it will last long before, long after I'm gone, right? Um, my name is there. I have a bench in my parents' names there. And when people do their own research, they will know that everybody on those benches are all people of color and it's at a predominantly white institution. And it's gonna make people look and say, wow, they, they did this. Um, so I'm proud of that because it has, it, 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 it is long and everlasting. Um, I'm proud to have went to HBCUs. Um, you know, I, I would not be the person I am if it were not from the experience of historically black colleges and universities. Referring to Central State University and Howard University School of Social Work. Right, right. And, and would, would not be, had my, my children, one, one went to Clark Atlanta um, and one went to, and two went to Howard uh, University. So um, they have a network of friends that is their part of their moral compass. They know who they are as women. I have all young women. Um, that, that is my greatest gift is my children and watching them now and where they are two in the DMV area and one in Atlanta, Georgia, they're leaders, they speak up. They, um, you know, I just had my, my, one of my daughters telling me that she's joining the mayor's race for Atlanta, to, you know, to make sure that uh, they continue to elect. They're, they're out there, they're doing things. Um, they're not social workers. I have one that's a clinical psychologist in DC and one that's an attorney in DC and the other that works in HR, but they carry on. They have mouths and they speak up. They like who they are as a person. And that I have two grandsons um, who are being raised by a Howard and a Morehouse person. They like who they are, right? Uh, so it's that legacy that you continue. Um, that, that those are the things that I'm most proud of. 
you know, my thing is not to have a name where people look at my name. It's the dash in between my name of seeing what I have done. I didn't set out on the journey. You know, I look at all the things that I've done and I'm like, wow, I did do a lot, but I didn't set out to do that. Right. It was just where there was opportunity. I always I always took took the leap of faith of, okay, getting involved and working as hard as I possibly could. Uh, And to speak to people, to treat people fair, and it found itself electing me or putting me in positions or or being elected to be homeroom rep and all of those kind of things. It it, it was because of the ability of bringing everybody in the room. Um, But I also know that leadership means taking out the trash right? Um, Leadership is is not about you. It's about bringing your people along so that they can flourish and you can create a journey. You're you're speaking to the issue of servant leader? Is that what you Yes. Okay. So um, you you mentioned that you, um, you know, have your your kids are your your proudest accomplishment. I suspect for you and your husband um, that you feel that way. Um, um, what do you say about the failures in life and what have they helped to teach you? Well, the, the failures in life are the things that make you grow stronger, right? Uh, make you find a different way. You, you, you may not have gotten everything. And again, it goes back to my dad. You may not have gotten everything you wanted, but get up. What's next, right? Um, look at it, evaluate it and learn from it. You know, and, and I have to say, I rode horses from a little girl. Again, I said, I'm out here in Chester County. So that was one of the things that we did. But many, many times you get thrown from a horse, but you got back on and, and you learned and, and you, you realized you had to be in rhythm with a horse, you know, for a horse not to throw you, you needed to be able to make that horse feel comfortable that you could be on their back, right? So when you fail, you have to go back and you have to reevaluate what did I do? What could I do better? Uh, and, and do it better. Are there things you would say to young people that uh, based on those uh, hard lessons that you've learned over your lifetime uh, that they could sort of put in their back pocket to say that they can learn these same things? What might you share? Yeah, I I think it's important for young people to talk, to talk A with their parents. You know, the one thing that the one big regret that I have is I never really talked to my dad that much about what he did in the war, right? It was just, yeah, it was just something that I don't know why. I mean, we all knew that he was in World War II and he he had kind of talked about it, but I never really talked to him about what was it like and what was his role and what did he do? And he was in colored only troops, you know, uh, what was it like to be in a colored only troop? Oh, segregated uh, by federal mandate, right? Exactly, exactly. And so I, I say to people, you know, you have to do what you're doing. You have to do these grand stories. You know, your, your grandparents and their grandparents, they have a history. You know, um, my mother grew up in all black classrooms, right? So they, they weren't integrated during that time. The integration occurred during my sister's year. Uh, so, but, but what, but 
But what I lost that my sister had was the influence of young teachers who were black because at that particular time they had black teachers teaching the black students right well when I came along they integrated the schools those students those teachers lost their jobs and I was being taught by white teachers who were not always with the best interest of me right um, so I always say go back and learn the lessons of our history uh, because I think sometimes we're so we, we're so busy throwing history away. Let me be like, well, well you kind of did it that way, but we're, we're not going to do it that way anymore. We're going to do it this way. But there are lessons learned of, okay, this is what you need to avoid, right? And then for us, for me, who, who's at getting in my rocking chair, as I say, it's to allow different people to lead, to allow young people to come and share their ideas. I, I, I always like that Boyer model of the teacher scholar model, that whatever I do, whatever leadership role, I always like to have a student right by my side, right? Um, when I was at CSWE, Howard gave me two students to, to work with me right by my side, Dr. Lucinda Doyle and Dr. Terrell Brown, right? One was in aging and Lucinda was just, they were, they were assets to me. And little did anybody know, but they helped me write my speeches. They helped me say, nah, you don't want to say that. They helped me update things. We worked hand in hand, right? So everything that I did at CSWE, I would always say it's not just Mid Joyner. It was Lucinda Doyle and Terrell Brown. And we still stay, I just was talking to Terrell the other day, we still stay in contact with one another. Uh, I had grad assistants in while I was chair of my department of social work, uh, always brought them with me to meetings. The more that we follow that model, that teacher scholar model, the better off we'll be, I think. Um, you know, and, and the more that, that, that right now I'm, I'm working with Mia Thornton in, in, in you know, something at Howard and love to talk with her, right? Because she brings a whole completely different perspective than I ever thought of. So we collaborate together. So collaboration is so important to do. And I would ur urge people, no woman or man can be an island, collaborate with others. I, I like that. I think I agree with those, those points in terms of my life experience as well. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said that he was a drum major for uh, justice, and that uh, he said that in, back in February of 1968, um, and that he was a drum major for uh, peace. Um, what would you say about your contributions, and how would you describe yourself? I would go back to Martin Luther King and use his line, we will not be satisfied until righteousness rolls down like water, right? Uh, and to, we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Right. And I won't be satisfied until that happens. Um, you know, people ask me, you know, I retired from Westchester University in 2011. And you know, being president of NASW, I work at it 24 hours a day. I mean, it, it, it's something, it's a, it's much bigger than I thought it was. And people say, why do you do that work? Cause it's a volunteer job. You know, I get paid $0, but I, I, I do that because 
hopefully I'm helping to tear down some of these silos and putting social justice at the forefront of social work. Uh, when I, and the reason I do it is because of my grandkids, right? You know, and I tell people that all the time, the reason that I do this is because my grandkids live in Washington, DC. And one day they're gonna get a car and they're gonna wanna drive up to see their Gigi. And their mother and I are gonna have our heart in our throat because what happens if they get pulled over? You know, we've taught our kids to speak up, but my husband and, and their father teaches them all about the 10 and the four and all of those kind of things. What, what will happen? You know, could they have a gun pointed at their head? Um, what do you mean by the 10 and the four so you can tell folks, what, what are we talking about there? Pardon me? What are we talking about, the 10 and the four? Oh, the 10 and the four is when you're in a car that put your hands at positions 10 and four so that the police see that. I never, ever really understood all of that. Um, you know, it was when my daughter had her first son that my husband said, oh, boy. And I'm like, why do you say, oh, a boy? Because I had three girls, right? So I thought he was going to be ecstatic that we were bringing a boy into the world. And he was just like, it's so much to teach them. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he went on this, this thing of what, and I was saying, oh, well, we're not going to teach them to be passive and stuff like that. We want them to speak up. He said, look, speaking up can get them killed. You know, um, we, we have to teach them to be respectful. They have to know who they are. Um, they, and I had no idea. Right. Um, and, and, and of course my, my husband had told me about times when, when a police officer had pulled him and his brother off of a bus and put guns at his head because they thought that they had stolen something, but it wasn't them, but the police never offered any apologies. And, and from that, I've heard so many African-American men talk about their encounters with the police. I had no idea right? That, that so many people had that same thing. I yes. think that um, your, your husband is on to something. I think right. uh, I have had my experiences. I know of, as an African-American male, um, I tell my family, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's time for the talk and they, oh, their eyes go up. We've heard the talk before already, dad, or we right. right. But I, I say that in the same way that perhaps your husband had shared uh, in talking about grandchildren, um, or as uh, you know, Tennessee Coates talked about in his book, uh, Between the World and Me, talking about what he would tell his young toddler uh, son about what he needed to know when he grew up, having been here at Howard University uh, in Washington, D.C., which is still south of the Mason-Dixon line. Right. Uh, uh, Mason-Dixon line for listeners that may not know uh, is was that demarcation line between the north and the south, um, which basically meant that that one side were considered slave states and one side were uh, were considered free. Uh, as people have gotten older, we've come to see that uh, slavery uh, existed up and down the East Coast. Uh, and many of the northern states as well, but um, nonetheless, that, that's the message. So what would you say uh, if we talk about this issue between uh, your husband talking about worrying about the grandsons and what they might have to learn, um, what, what, 
what would be the message you would share with uh, with listeners about uh, what their future should be, uh, how they should talk, uh, speaking up or being silent? What would you say? Well, I always say, as a grandmother, I don't have the luxury of retiring, right? As an African-American grandmother. I mean, I would love to be in my rocking chair and at the beach and with, with a drink in my hand, but I have my grandsons to worry about. Uh, and so I continue this. I continue knocking on doors. I continue giving the message of don't treat them better, but don't treat them less, right? Um, and that's what we grandmothers have to do. You know, um, it, it, it reminds me of my own mother, you know, again, going back to pulling me out of school. There's the things that we have to do that other people can't even comprehend, but we have to raise our children and protect our children. Um, and so that is my job. We also have to let our children and make them aware. I mean, one thing that my grandsons say is they Google me, they Google me because they know they, they know how to do this thing called the computer better than I ever do, right? And so they'll always say, I hear on your, some of your speeches, you're always talking about us that you do this for your grandsons, right? Well, I have a grandson that's at um, Murray School and his artwork got picked to be on their end of the year thing. And what he did was a Black Lives Matter flag. And he, he had the B, the L, the M, and he colored them in all the three colors. And he kind of talked about that he came from a black family and he's proud to be from a black family. But he had faces, sad faces behind it, like all where there would have been stars. There were all little sad faces throughout. And he kind of talked about what you all just need to treat us all the same, whether we're African and I think he went to Australian, no matter who we have to be. Well, that little clip was just, it, 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 it did a lot for me. Number one, you know, we, you tend to try to protect kids from all the things that's going on. They know they're on the internet, they see. So have those conversations with kids. But he is already starting to wear what it is to be African-American, right? Um, and so when my daughter said, mom, I want you to watch this, but it's very deep and it's kind of depressing because Quaid is starting to understand, you know, I'm at Murray, which is a, a great school, but he already knows that he has to tell people and, and, and tell people he wants to be treated as equal. I don't want to be treated any better, any less, right? So he knows. Um, and so I think what I would tell people is African-American kids know, but then also let them know just how beautiful they are. Uh, help them understand that the ideas that they have, no matter what, what they want to be, are great ideas and help them get the help that they need to get to reach the dreams that they have, right? Um, yeah. That's um, what we have to do. Okay. I, I, uh, I know we're, we're getting short on time, but I sure. wanted to uh, think about a couple points you raised, um, and I was reminded of uh, you mentioned W. B. Du Bois, uh, "The Souls of Black Folk," mm -hmm. and and uh, he talks and uh, later work about the talented tenth and what their role could be. And uh, as much as colorism is not part of the uh, discussion when we talk about uh, about people that have learned in their older age uh, experiences that they've had, 
talked a little bit about uh, the, the talk that, that uh, young males get from their parents or grandparents about how to be careful uh, around the police, et cetera. Um, what would you say would be um, the thing that is most important that you would like to share as a point of wisdom and experience for the future? I, I would like to say to, to anyone who's entering the social work profession to understand and read the code of ethics and to know that you can't um, carry out or practice a part of your code of ethics. I, I would like to say to African-American students, most likely you will be the only one, maybe at your agency, maybe in a place, but you cannot ignore any kind of ism classism, sexism, elitism, ageism, racism. Uh, you have to be that voice. Even if your voice quivers, you have to speak up and talk about injustice, that you will not accept it or tolerate it. You will expose it. And you also have to know when you need to walk away from a job. If a job is asking you to do something where it violates the very, the very essence of who you are, then walk away, you'll find another job. Uh, but at the same time, I, I'm here to be living testimony that when you do speak up, you also get rewarded. People begin to listen to you and to understand that they'll, they'll come tell you things. I mean, it's a, it's a heavy load, as they say, uh, when you look at Lorraine, Lorraine Hansberry and a raisin, a raisin in the Sun, you won't explode if you start to tackle the real issues that are here. Uh, right now, our nation, as I said earlier, I feel as though we're slipping back in some of our practices, but it's not that we're slipping back, we're starting to lose our democracy. So we've got to convince those in the urban, with those in the rural, those in the suburban, we've got to, we've got to get them to understand the power of the vote, uh, at the same time, we've got to get people elected. And again, going back to Naeem Akbayer, we've got to remember, we've got to get people on both sides of the team, right? You, you, you've got to, Naeem Akbayer often said that you've got to have the offensive and the defensive team. So you've got to get some people who you may not think you want to work with to believe in your philosophy of we must treat all people as equal. You know, the Democratic and Republican Party, the, 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 the Republican Party before believed that you shouldn't invest in social programs. That's what it was all about, that money, that the state should be able to take care of their own people and that the federal government shouldn't be investing. And somehow it's got hijacked to this whole issue on race. That's not really the Republican party. So what I try to do is to go out and talk to Republicans who were in that old Republican party to be able to say, is that what you all were for? No, no, that's not what we were about. We were about not all this taxes and all these programs. Well, then you need to stand with us now. I need you, I need you to get your party back, right? I, I need you to do whatever you can take to get your party back from these individuals who are taking us down the river of white nationalism, um, unless that's what you stood for. So that's a Naeem Akbayer thing. You've got to have that offense and that defense um, because we won't, we won't make the change just one side or the other. Wow, well, I, that may be the place to leave it. Um, 
I thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, we've had a very wide ranging discussion over uh, uh, surprisingly uh, the, the time just zipped by. We were yeah. talking about some very important issues and uh, some very important experiences. And I thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I, I feel like we were sitting here in the living room just um, having a conversation and uh, I, 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 I think maybe a couple times I didn't, I kind of bit my tongue because I wanted to hear exactly what you said, but I, I, uh, I certainly admire uh, you and the work that you're doing on behalf of social workers around the country and, uh, and actually around the world. And so, um, well, you know, it, it is my pleasure to have this opportunity to, to do something for Howard University. I want to, I want to say that the money that I paid or my parents paid for Howard University, and actually I, I got, a, I got a, a thing to come to Howard University, but those days and those years were well spent. I have stayed connected and I will always say to anyone, stay connected to your university, help them drive the mission. I am proud to be a bison. I am proud of the work that you do at the School of Social Work. So I thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you again for today. Uh, you've been listening to another episode of Grand Stories, uh, Profiles in Aging, a uh, podcast that you can find on Anchor or whatever last listening platform is best for you. Um, thank you again, Dr. Joyner, and uh, look forward to our continued interaction. Thank you, Dr. Cosby. And we, we will be together again soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care now. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. This podcast was sponsored by Howard University School of Social Work's Multidisciplinary Gerontology Center. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HU underscore gerontology, G-E-R-O-N-T-O-L-O-G-Y, to stay up to date. The music you hear is performed by the Howard University Jazz Ensemble under the direction of Fred Irby III, professor of music at Howard University. I hope you'll join me in two weeks as we explore more social justice and aging issues. Thank you for listening.